You're listening to a Rock Candy podcast. Building a better pod. Coming to you from Magnified Studios, Magnified Pod presents Pods from the Penalty Box. A nostalgic sampling of skate punk albums from the 90s Christian alternative scene. Join us in the pit. I'm Andrew. I'm John. And this is our podcast. Yes. Uh, John, I don't know about you. I have some whiskey mm. that I've been been sipping on this evening yeah. because, bro, <laughs> it's been I, need, a week. I need something strong. Yeah, I it's uh, my birthday week, and I've been going a little hard, so I needed to <laughs> slow down tonight. And I just like just got, my, like got that topo here. So a topo chico. I mean, bro, I also we're both we got that double yeah. topo. Yeah, clink, clinking it. Um, so Magpod Nation, this is going to be a little bit of a different episode because it, it, there's a lot of different things about this episode, um, but. One is that this is going to be the first time the season there's not going to be a game. Um, we have a special guest coming later in the episode. Yes. Uh, sort of mid-album discussion, <laughs> sort mm-hmm. of, to talk and break down one of the songs. Uh, that is what you call in the biz a little bit of a tease. <laughs> um, but... We also we also were wanted to get a little bit heavy here up top because uh, what has been going on in our country in the last year um, in regards to uh, Asian American and Pacific Islanders and the racism that has been hurled at them from uh, the highest levels of government mm-hmm. of, our, of our country, coming from the president. Yep. And the racist and derogatory terms he has used uh, to blame COVID on um, China and just Asians in general, just sort of like lumping them all together. Um People think it's funny. Right. People have fucking died. Yeah. Hate crimes and attacks of people uh, of Asian origins or probably even just perceived Asian origin mm-hmm. are on the rise around this country. And I've been seeing so many goddamn apologists for white supremacy. Mm-hmm. I just don't know how much more of it I can fucking take. Yeah. Yeah. It's so infuriating, and this week is is no different than any other than any other uh, time, I guess, over the previous four years. Yeah of of this of that of the former administration, just sort of like the monstrousness of of the the white supremacy that was coming from the White House. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, this week it feels like any number of things are kind of culminating or coming together. I'm sure anybody listening knows at this point that, Mm -hmm. uh, earlier in the week that we're recording, um, 
a white 20 something man, 21 year old man, uh, killed eight people at two massage parlors, um, and in Atlanta and six of those eight were Asian women. And he has since said, um, you know, he wasn't targeting them because they were Asian, um, which like, you know, I've seen so many tweets that have said like white people are at the point where they will admit to murdering before they're admit to being racist. Um, but that he had, so he's a, son of a pastor, very involved in his church, uh, I think Southern Baptist church and would visit these massage parlors to address his, uh, issues around purity culture, basically that had screwed him up to the point that he felt he needed to express himself sexually only in that context. And obviously, um, in this culture, in this country, given the Asian American experience, a lot of women end up in those kinds of places, whether they're trafficked or whether that's the kind of, um, you know, just like systems we put them into in this country. So he felt that that's where he could sort of, uh, he could sort of box off his, his sexuality by doing it in a place like that. And then because he was enraged at himself and um, issues related to sexual shame, he, he killed them um, and addressed the issue in that way. And, you know, we'll get into more, but I just feel like we get hung up a lot on this pod about lyrics and things that the nineties church world taught a lot of kids, but this is why this is the, this is the outcome taken to its worst extreme of purity culture, of toxic masculinity, of white supremacy of gun violence, you know, and the evangelical churches that prop up all those things. It just kind of perfectly came together. And I just feel almost beholden to that way of thinking. And it's a very frustrating and exhausting existence, even for us as, as white men too. So, yeah. You know, I want to be clear. We're not pointing the finger at dogwood. You know, this is not, yeah, (laughs) this is not us being like, blaming them for this or even like tooth and nail. Like we're just, we're just not, we're just trying to have this conversation in general because, you know, people, as John said, people might think like, why do they get so hung up on these theological issues? And it's like, because I'm 37 and some of the stuff that I've tried to shed for a majority of my life is still clinging on for dear life. And while I've done a, I mean, like I've been able to get rid of a lot of it through years of therapy. And you got to think about, as John mentioned again, about toxic masculinity. Men in this country are not raised with emotional intelligence. We're not taught that it's okay to be sensitive or emotional or to talk about our feelings. Uh, We're told to man up. We're told not to cry. We're told not to be a pussy. You know, we're we're told to grow a pair. You know, be a fucking man. You know, those sorts of things. And and when you think about a lot of the terminology that's used, the antithesis of of those terms is like it's like oh, you, what you're telling me is to not be a woman or not to not be like a woman. 
So even if it might not be explicit from a young age, kids are young boys are told that be that it's bad to be a woman. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of this stuff is going to be very deeply ingrained in kids. So one of the biggest lies, John, that we were taught growing up is sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Mm-hmm. Fucking lie. Yeah. Words matter a lot. Yeah. Words, words matter a great deal. And for people to be like, just ignore them, just ignore them. It's like, that's when you're a part of a group, a marginalized group that, I mean, how many Asian communities now are on edge? Right. Because this kind of shit replicates. This stuff happens and then more, more of it happens. And yep. you give you give oxygen to this, of course there's going to be more. And it's just like um, when you uh, when you talk about things like suicide too, that if you glor- the second you even like do something that looks like a glorification, mm-hmm. that sort of stuff, you see a rise in that. So when you give the most powerful person in the world uh, pretty much unlimited time on cable news, on Twitter, spewing all this nonsense. I mean, what? Obviously, obviously, right. this is this is going to be the end result. This man, this twenty-one-year-old man, was so overcome with his own, presumably his own shame, right? Um, because let's be real. Sex addiction in a Southern Baptist church is probably lust. It's probably him looking at porn or him going to one of these massage parlors. Mm-hmm. Um, this is this a true, an actual true addiction, or is that just the terminology that is used within the church to? try and cover up for his own shame and his own guilt. Because I mean, if he's just like looking at porn and jerking off and he just wants to like, dude, it's fine. You're okay. You're normal. It's normal to want to have, I don't want to pathologize not having sex is not normal, but what I'm saying is it's totally fine for a person to want sexual intimacy and the church saying it's wrong for him to want that and all of imp- all impure thoughts or impure desires and actions it's like you're creating an impossible it's just impossible for any young person to have that sort of a standard of living and um you know evidently i think there was like maybe he had some sort of counseling or he went to some sort of facility, but whether or not this was like his own concern because of his evangelical upbringing, like, I mean, just like, this is the, this is the outcome. We just feel so terrible about just being a human person that we're just like, and the way the police talked about him, 
it was like they were running fucking PR for him. Just had a bad day. In what reality? In what? In what? I'm just trying to think. In what sort of other situation, other than a white man, would the police give this much fucking compassion for for a person who just murdered eight people? Right. Just giving him the be- benefit of the doubt. He was at we the end. Of, he was at the end of his rope. You know. Right. It's he had this addiction. He it was a bad day. Like people of color don't get that level of treatment. Right. Like yeah. this this seems obvious to say that, but it needs to be said over and over again because the normalization of and the and just like the white glove treatment that white murderers get. Right. And just like, like he was just trying to cover his ass. Like, what is his, like, he fucking killed people in your community. It's like, well, let me just try and like give a little humanity to this person. It's like, that's, that's not your job. Right. Yeah. And I was going to say, of course, we found out that the cop that said that Uh had posted on social media about how he called it the China virus himself, the China virus and all this shit. So, you know, this this toxic masculinity, this white supremacy is a very much part of the police system as well, which is something we've talked about over the last year on the show. Yeah. It, it touches all parts of our society. And, you know, to your point about feeling shame and so having to do it, having to, because of shame, exploring sex um, in these ways that are illegal. I mean, this is why so many pastors and so many people like this get you know quote unquote caught with sex workers and it's because they're viewing them as these objects and these transactions like this isn't a really real thing i'll have to turn to it here and you know what that does to the sex workers who experience life as people you know just being seen as transactions by people like this who are going there and dealing with shame and anger of course they're going to become targets of violence um and and be less protected. Of course, people of color and the marginalized are going to find themselves in those positions. Well, inevitably, these white male pastors are going to be found to have, you know, uh, been paying for sex uh, with folks like that. So, right. I just, yeah, I. Well, first, I want to say we we there are some ways that we can um, give to the situation. As you said, there's still violence um, that Asian American Pacific Islander folks are facing across the country. And to your point, I'm sure it will only increase. So there is one way that um, gofundme.com slash AAPI uh, directs donations to various uh, Asian American uh, communities and nonprofits of the country across the country who are, who are addressing some of this on a community level. So that's one thing to put some positive energy toward. But the thing I keep coming back to is like, we can help in that way, but also what, what can I do? What can we do? Andrew right. is like yeah. white cishet men. Right. How can we use the platforms we have? And it's not like, you know, our podcast is one of the primary media platforms of our time, but right. I'm trying to think of all the ways that I can use the advantages that we have to address some of this stuff. And the fact that so many of our problems in this country come from other white cis het men. Right. And 
just, yeah, I, I mean, I was telling you this the other night that I was expressing that I felt like we're like held hostage by people who feel their freedom is more important than gun laws. So I can send my kids to school without worried about them getting shot or so that they will actually wear masks and get vaccines. So we're not in this perpetual uh, pandemic, but I'm like, what's behind all that? And she's like, well, we're not held hostage just by those people. We're held hostage by white men as a country. Like, obviously there are exceptions, but we are the block that's sort of allowing this toxic masculinity, the selfishness to, to reign supreme. And it touches so many areas of society. You know, we were talking about our good friend, Mickey, Patreon punk, um, yes. who's a friend of both of ours and that she had tweeted about an experience she'd had on a dating site um, with a guy that she had had like limited interaction with who just ended up going off on her with weird sexual stuff and then weird rage responses to her not being enthusiastic about that and just like how common that narrative is of just these guys online um, directing their anger and violence toward women in that capacity. And I'm just like drawing these lines between these shootings and these people who mm-hmm. are senators who are talking about how we shouldn't wear masks and um, people who are bullying friends of ours online and how it all, all traces back to this one selfish kind of white male thinking that's only um, bolstered by a lot of the churches that they're part of. So that's, I just keep coming back to that. I don't have an answer for it. It's something I'm still wrestling through, but I just keep pinpointing that as kind of like what's behind so much of what's awful right now. (laughs) Well, it's entitlement and it's, and it's privilege. Yeah. These guys specifically, I mean, talking about this guy with Mickey felt that, he was owed something mm-hmm. that he was not in any way owed. Right. Yeah. Not in the least. Not only does any woman not owe a man sex, she doesn't owe him an explanation right. for not wanting to sleep with him, let alone like if she's not comfortable talking about something she doesn't have to you're not entitled to a person's body right or their mind if they don't consent to that so i think a lot of men especially white men grow up thinking i'm the fucking shit everything right. in my life is uh is going to be mine because i mean this is what is this is what we see and as things have started shifting and it's like, wait a second. I thought the world was going to be handed to me on a silver plate. Right. And it's like, Oh no, I'm, I, I don't get everything I want. Mm -hmm. And women don't have to sleep with me if I want them to. And then you couple that with the fact that so many men don't have the tools to deal with their emotional intelligence and their, in their rage because like, Oh, we told them that dealing with their emotions is weak. And so they have no outlet. Right. And so, so what are men taught? Well, we, okay. Aggression and the physicality of 
of being a man. You know, you you see like how men hug each other. It's high fives. It's like you give a hug, but you got to make sure you slap the back. You know, you got to hit. You always got to hit hit somebody. You know, you can't actually hold and embrace another bro because you know that's not you know and it's 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 so much about physicality and and being rough and if that's the only thing that we're teaching young boys is like you know co- you know contact sports and not talking about your emotions like what the fuck did we think was going to happen yeah yeah and that was kind of my initial what i wanted to say to Mickey, who, by the way, we asked if it was okay if we talk about this, um, was like, I don't know how to, I don't think it's enough to be like, I'm sorry, men are shitty. Like, I'm like, I'm working hard to raise these two white boys to be the kind of men who won't do this. I'm working to be the kind of man who doesn't do this. But like, I'm just looking, you know, those of us who are parts of churches still or organizations or workplaces, how are we going to, engage others in such a way that ends some of this cycle, um, which is something that I've been thinking about. Um, there's another thing, I, um, as far as like ways to help or be engaged that I've seen a lot, which is like bystander trainings. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of organizations offer these. There's one called, uh, advancing justice Chicago that I know offers these, um, right now they're online trainings, but they're basically like, if you see something, happening to someone which is usually like violence directed at someone who's marginalized how can you engage in a way that will be helpful and that's one thing i've seen a lot of um asian american folks saying on social media and in in articles and stuff is like these things are happening and nobody around me did anything about it right i think usually because we're so paralyzed we don't know what to do but that's why there are ways to be trained to know how to like engage better so that's something that we're participating in uh in my house so yeah i'm just looking for opportunities like this to to treat people like people and not just go through the motions of of transactions and you know one thing that was especially heartbreaking was like to your point about feeling shame this guy feeling shame from his church like there are other members of these kinds of churches that i've seen online who are like Asian American women who've been like, I wrestle with purity culture too, but they would look at me as like a sexual object because of the ways that Asian women in particular in this country are fetishized. Yeah. Yeah. And then the guys are like baffled when their advances are, you know, not effective because they're like, well, I am also striving to be pure. So why should I, again, why should I feel like you're owed me or owed some kind of sexual interaction with me? Right. Yeah. Well, that's because um, we we have dehumanized Asian people for centuries in this country. Yeah. Um, you know, they've uh, they've been our scapegoats. They've been our manual labor through yeah. the building of our railroads. They have built our cars. They have made our clothing. We have uh, Americanized their food. But, um, you know, but we dehumanize them in our media constantly. There are two forms. We put them in internment camps. Yeah, we put, we literally in this country had internment camps. We have, there are people still alive, famously, George Takei, 
still alive. People who were in internment camps. This is not long ago, guys. And I learned about this in eighth grade um, Mm -hmm. from the book Farewell to Manzanar. Um, But there's all kinds of resources about this. Um, There are two forms that Asian women seem to be taken in in our our media is that this sort of like um, submissive, kind of quiet, um, shy giggly kind of like character Mm -hmm. um or like some sort of other like fully sexual being right and that's that's the only ways that seemingly that the uh, the stereotypes of asian women are are so pervasive and and it's it's fucking gross and i i was texting you with you earlier and just feeling just unparalleled amounts of rage at yeah. some of the like articles I was reading and apparently and this is like I just like wanted to line everybody up in the street and like punch them in the face if they said this but um evidently there was this um the way some people were callously responding about the murders of human beings yeah. was uh, the most distasteful joke. Uh, joke, and I put that in the strongest of quotes. Um, well, I guess that wasn't the happy ending they were looking for. Jeez. Uh, Are you fucking yeah. kidding me? Yeah. I was about to lose my mind, and and people think that this is clever and this is funny. And this is the sort of dehumanizing shit that makes people think like, if you just like make a person's life, a goddamn punchline, you're a monster. Yeah. You're a monster. And I don't think men truly understand how tough it is to be a woman because you know i um my girlfriend lauren posted something recently on facebook this this tweet about how every woman that yeah. you, you know um has been afraid walking home and has been is very aware of her surroundings and is very concerned about somebody following them because that's the kind of shit that they have to worry about. The number right. of times I've had to worry about being sexually assaulted or attacked is zero. Yeah. And women have to keep their radars up at all times. Yeah. You know, and and there are all of these incel sites that are just absolute cesspools. Um, and there's this guy saying like, oh, if you want to have a little psychological fun, you know, just go around and, uh, and follow a woman. You know, don't you're not actually going to do anything, but if you just right. like want to mess around, just go follow her. And like, it's like, 
like this is it. This is the stuff, guys. This is right. this is where where it ends up. Like you, the whole like involuntarily celibate, the incel thing, like operates under the assumption that the presupposition is that you're involuntarily celibate celibate because a woman won't sleep with you because you assume that the woman should be sleeping with you. Right. Right. Yeah. As if that is something that you are owed or deserve. Yeah. Cause they're nice guys. They're nice guys. They're just so misunderstood. Yeah. I just, I just don't understand how people in the comments that I see Like, how are these They're Like all the pieces are sitting next to each other mm-hmm. and you just need to lock them into place. And you're just like, Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. This is the bigger picture is becoming clear, right. but there's just so much stuff that's interconnected with this. Yeah. You're just like, you can draw a line between all of these issues. Yep. hundred percent. And when I see people like Marco Rubio be like, Oh, the violence against, against Asian Americans is just, Oh, and it's like, Hey, asshole. Um, Remember when last year you were like upset that people were angry about what people were calling that what Trump was calling the virus? It's like, oh, people, they're losing their jobs and people are upset about what the virus is being called. It's like, yeah, because it's fucking racist. Right. And And this is what happens happens after this. So. I don't give a shit what people like that have to say. Yeah. You can just like the most outrageous people that is just like, I got to pump out a tweet, even if it doesn't matter, you know, just like the people that are like thoughts and prayers for the school shooting victims. Let me just get my check from the NRA and we're all right. good. Um, on to the next bootlicking session. Yep. Yeah. I, I don't have much else to say. I think you've said it well. I much like when I've raged it well. <laughs> much like when BLM protests were happening last summer and we felt like we kind of needed to pause and just sort of talk through this. This will be something that will continue to weave in and out of our, you know, discussions of things on the show, but we wanted to kind of take some time to intentionally talk through this. Um so anyway, if folks have things they want to weigh in on about or, or talk about this further. Uh, we're certainly up for that, but anyway, <laughs> anyway, yeah, this is, um, obviously this is, uh, an issue that is not done today in the same right. way that black lives matter is never done either. Yeah. Um, but it's just another way in which institutional racism puts on the kid gloves for the white terrorists. Yep. Every, every single time. Yep. Every single time, you know, you get, uh, George Floyd, um, was accused of having a counterfeit bill. And he died. Yeah. Um, this asshole in Atlanta murdered eight people. 
So had a bad day. Had a bad day. Stop yep. day. Yep. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. It's a lot to unpack, and we will continue doing so. Yes. Um, and with that, we are going to take a break. I know this is a little different than previous episodes. No game, as I said, but um, when we come back, we are going to talk about the Dogwood uh, album, Matt Aragon. Yes. Hey, I'm Joe, and I'm a composer and a musician. That's why we call you the maestro. And I'm Will. I'm a literal doctor. But don't trust this guy with your ailments. No, I study comic books, but it still counts. We're a couple of creative kids who host the podcast called Common Creatives. We dig deep into filmmakers, musicians, books, and characters, really all types of artistic works and the people who make them. We break apart the art we love to see what makes it tick. Basically, we give you the definitive take on whatever or whoever we're discussing. All opinions are definitive and final. So check out Common Creatives wherever you listen to podcasts. And we are back. We are coming down from our rage in the previous segment. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we're going to be talking Matt Aragon, hmm. 2001 album by Dogwood. You know, so- this album came out like... Like two weeks after two 9/11? weeks after nine eleven or something like that, yeah. Tough time for a release, Ooh, boy. presumably. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah, I, you have alluded to this before, but this is a new album for you. This is not one you had, right? This is not one I had. No. Um, I had never really heard it. Uh, I mean, I'd heard it as we were preparing for the season, but never really dove in deep until this week as we were preparing for this. Yeah. Um, and I gotta say, I like this album quite a lot. Uh, Andrew disagrees with me. <laughs> so this will be an interesting discussion. Yeah, it uh, overall, um, not my favorite of theirs. I will say this: that as far as the recording quality, yeah. it's among the best i would might even argue it is the best sounding record that they've that they've made i think it is i think the instruments at the very least sound the best they ever have yeah um yeah it was produced by ryan green who had worked uh mainly with artists on fat records like no effects and no use for a name and Lagwagon, who are all obviously big influences on dogwood and i'd definitely say there's a no effects vibe on a lot of this, which I think Mm -hmm. is just more my lane than some of the hard rock sound maybe of, Mm. for example, building a better me. Now we will get to our album rankings. This is our last dogwood episode, everybody. So raise your, raise your glasses. Andrew's (laughs) relieved, but (laughs) Um, (laughs) I don't, here's, here's okay. I didn't mean to bust us. No, no, no. Look, this is the thing like, and this is something I said on the Patreon and I'll, I will reiterate when we do our uh, Patreon episode uh, this week where we will be discussing the last dogwood record. Mm. Um, 
Seismic. Seismic, which came out in 2003. But I think what has been difficult for me during this stretch is the heaviness of a lot of these records. And I think that is what was ultimately really tough about this record, um, which was different than Building a Better Me, which felt kind of introspective and like had some hopeful elements to it. And while I know that this was, um, there were some challenges that were going on within the band. Um, A number of members, uh, well, at least um, this, this was the last for Sean. Sure. Sean. Yeah. Um, And I think, um, yeah, and then yeah, I think by the next album, other people were like pretty much done yes. ski. So, uh, but yeah, I, I know this was there were some turbulent times, uh, yeah. which is why this that this album was named after a fan, Matt Aragon, who uh, the band wrote about him in the liner notes, sort of talking about how he took a special interest in all the members individually and was just like a really, really good dude and um, reached out to all of them. um, And was just, they felt this guy, Matt um, represented Christ in a way that they appreciated. And, Hmm. uh, and so it was just sort of an homage to this person who, who they said like they wouldn't have been a band (laughs) <laughs> they, yeah. they wouldn't have probably stuck around if it weren't for this this guy and his encouragement and support. Hmm. I mean, that's pretty cool. Good job, Matt. It's a, uh, you know, if Pedro the, the Lion. That's right. If Pedro the Lion wrote a, an album called John Potter, I'd be pretty psyched. Um, <laughs> so that's got to feel cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was just gonna say, you know, even though the vibe of this, well. <laughs> we're, the reason I was saying that this is our last dogwood is because we're going to get to our album rankings later. And I feel a little conflicted about some of that. Uh, we're also going to get to our 10 song set lists. Um, but there are a couple albums that even though I enjoy listening through them more because they are more my vibe, I kind of can't deny the high highs of other albums. So anyway, even right. though building a better me, maybe less in my vein of style that I you know, appreciate more than Matt Aragon. I, you know, totally better me, better record than Matt Aragon only because, um, they're doing more interesting things. I think the songs on the whole are better, but I like, I like the vibe here a lot. I think it's kind of an easy listen in terms of that no effects kind of sound that I like a lot. Um, it was recorded at motor studios in San Francisco. Uh, most of the songs are credited to Sean, uh, right. which is interesting because, like you said, this was his last record with them, although he did produce their last album. Um, and kind of a different vibe from him, I would say. Um, less judgy, less um, friendship ending songs on the whole. Um, yeah, but a very, very bleak record. Yeah. Yeah. Very yeah, it, dark and tumultuous. Yes. And I think that was kind of yeah. how I was why I think why I was struggling with the record so much is that sure. 
there really wasn't anything about it that was that felt hopeful with with the exception of the last song hope unseen which <sighs> um but like a majority of the songs are negative in tone yeah i think yeah to your point we're building a better me had a sort of self bettering <laughs> vibe right. this is more questioning self um yes which is kind of sad to see that turn again i do the the breakdown of of lyrics josh versus sean versus in one case here russ is is an interesting one and we'll get into that a little but right um yeah i don't know i i would say there's not a ton of fat here you know we were saying you could trim some from building a better me um i don't think that you would need to trim much here. Um, but, and it sounds great. So those things are in its favor, but yeah, 12 minutes, 12, 12 songs, 33 minutes rather. Yeah. Uh, about as, about as tight of a punk record. Yeah. These days that, you know, that you could put out those days. So, yeah. Um, I, I have no qualms. I have no qualms there. I have no qualms with the with the length or the production or or anything like that. Uh, sure. I think for me, it, it this album felt like an emotional slog. Hmm. Interesting for me, and I think if I if I spent like when I was list, so like I I think we had a. Uh, we had a question on Twitter asking how we approach albums. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, we, you know, you said you had a minimum amount of times you would listen to it. And for me, I would typically do like, I would do listening and then I would do like listening while reading the lyrics. Yeah. And this is one of those albums that if I like, if I'm just listening to it, yeah, I feel better about it. Sure. But if I'm, but when I was listening to it and reading the lyrics, I was having a really tough time because I was feeling sad. It made me feel kind of sad. That's interesting. And maybe you have a better window on what, because I feel like a lot of lyrics are fairly cryptic. So maybe you just understand them more than I do. Uh, well, I didn't I mean, get as hung up here, but. I, I don't know. I, I think I think part of it too is the ways in which I relate to some of the topics. Sure. Especially for the first two songs. Yeah. Okay. And I, I don't know. I when it, when it comes to certain topics, I just have a visceral and emotional response, which is what happens. I I have in some very strong ways on this record. Hmm. Interesting. I mean, we should get into it, but I would say the first two songs are my least favorite songs on the album. <laughs> oh my god, that's super fascinating. I cannot. I. That is so interesting. Okay, this is going to be another one of those classic episodes, I guess. Yeah, I thought you didn't like the first two songs. Um, this is what I, this is part of my issue. <laughs> okay, you like the musically, but not. Uh, um. Directly. I have, there's, 
there's not I had a hard time. This is one of those albums where I had a hard time. I didn't feel especially I didn't feel especially strongly sure about any song on this record. Okay. Um which made it difficult for me to like there were some that I'm like I don't know, do I like this song enough? Like <laughs> sure. I mean there's some songs where I'm like okay, I I can I can fuck with this like musically and I can and I can get down with it. But for for the most part with this record uh I feel like 75% when I like a lot of the songs are like 75% great. Sure. And then there's like a part where I'm like that blows it or that takes <laughs> me out of the moment. All right. Well, let's get into it. I think we should get into it. So, uh 1983 is the perfect example of what I'm talking about. Mm. Is this the right album? This is this is great. It's Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> when we were kids. When we were kids. <laughs> <laughs> when we were young, our whole lives ahead of us. It was well understood. We'd all become astronauts and firemen. Let's not pretend we all become famous. Let's not pretend there's more to this than we hope for. We knew the rules when we were still children. You blow it, you fail it. Disappointment is well on its way. Well understood. And you have a Um, this is my number three. Okay. Um, so with a lot of the songs, I think this song starts off very strong. Yeah. I like that acoustic opening, but not even that, but just like the, the acoustic into the pummeling guitars and drums. Yeah. But it falls apart at the chorus. Uh, it falls flat. In some cases, literally uh, <laughs> flat. Um, yes. But I was expecting that the way that it was building that it would right. reach some really satisfying chorus. But like, yes, it it like it was building and building, and then it just sort of dropped. And um, and I think what I get from this song is, um sort of talking about these like these dreams of as we're and you know when we were younger we thought we were going to be these things and essentially life comes along and disappoints us because yeah. what we what we hoped for uh doesn't happen i mean 
the second verse. Oh my God. Your parents are proud. You've got everything. No passionate hand. You'll be Ivy League. It's more probable we all become salesmen. You know it. You fear it. Mediocrity. It it's, does speak to a certain, you know, I remember feeling that way when I was. I still feel in that my way. My 20s. <laughs> yeah, and, sure. I mean, this is, I still have that sort of feeling of like, because I had that dream for decades dreaming of being in a band, touring, and playing shows in front of hundreds of people. And, you know, I I had a bit of that. I experienced a little bit of that. Right. Um, but the realization that most of us won't become famous, won't achieve our wildest dreams, <laughs> it, it, it's crushing. And when we tell kids, oh, you can grow up to be anything, you know, um, yeah. that's, and then you're just like, oh, wait, no, that's a lie. Um, but there's this part at the end that talks about, um, uh, don't apologize. This is the bridge. Don't apologize for what you are because you're a star. I hope you find contentment and life is better than your occupation, which is, um, you know, very Tyler Durden that we are not our jobs, <laughs> right. uh, which I think, uh, you know, finding contentment, not complacency, but contentment, which I think is um, mm-hmm. an important distinction. Um, so this like idea of like, maybe you're not what you want to be, but finding some contentment with where you are and you are more than like, what brings in a paycheck. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I think what I have in my notes is kind of a bummer uh, in <laughs> terms of, that's like the first <laughs> 10 songs on this record, right. man. In terms of the, you probably won't, won't turn out to be what you thought you wanted when you were a kid. But I would say like until the bridge, when, as you said, it becomes, I guess I wouldn't see it as settling so much as like, the realization as you get older to not find meaning in your job. Um, and for some people, maybe they do, but I think for most of us, there's sort of a just realization as you get older, that's like these things that you thought you wanted, maybe weren't the things that would have allowed you to have a, a life that you enjoy. And so finding that mm-hmm. fulfillment elsewhere, I don't know, maybe that's too positive a spin on it, but um, I mean, musically I have the exact same notes that you shared. I think there are interesting chord progressions, but I'm not sure they fully work. <laughs> like you were saying, they're doing some interesting things. I'm not sure it comes together. The vocals are flat at times, yeah, which yeah. has not happened in a while for our buddy, Josh. Yeah, uh, it's, it's a very, bummer to hear it again. It's very strange. Yeah. So those things bring it down for me. Um, but you know, I don't, I don't mind it. it. It's interesting. I could see how you'd be bummed out by it. I guess I didn't necessarily land in the exact same place but not far uh, off yeah and this is this is what i call um the album of outros i like <laughs> okay. i think the outros on this record yeah. the choruses on this record are, are more often than not the weakest part of the song i think that's fair yeah and the intro the bridge and the outro tend to be yeah. way 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 more satisfying yeah. So I want to hear a little When we, 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 we
think yeah, they're doing. Cool. I think they're doing some interesting stuff there. Agreed. Um, and yeah. So I mean, it's not like it's not a slam dunk song. Sure. Uh, th- I don't think there are too many slam dunk songs on this record, though. <laughs> Fair enough. One thing we should mention, as we just heard, is there are a lot more background vocals on this yep. record. Last week we called out that we wish there were more harmonies and more backup vocals in general. I would say that uh, that's definitely much more the case on this album, especially yeah, from Sean. Um, And uh, I know Danny Leary left a voicemail about this. We did not get to voicemails uh, this episode. We've got some of those coming next time, but I know he alludes to this. So I would just say that this album does deliver on that front for me. Yes, the album delivers definitely on... The harmonies on the melody, which I thought could have really taken up, um, taken building a better me up to. Yeah. Um, wait, was that was that who what we were talking about <laughs> last week? Yeah. Yeah, building a better me. Okay. Yeah. I don't remember anything anymore, man. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, nothing is everything. Is it the wisest choice you made? Is it the wisest choice you made? Is it the wisest choice you made? my number one okay interesting i love that i literally said these are my least two favorite and they're two of your three (laughs) i think this is a good example of what you're just talking about where i think the intro and the bridge and the ending are really cool on this song yes yes the rest doesn't do too much for me everything everything around it is just way more interesting and because it starts off with like was it the wisest shot it's like (laughs) it's just really passionate and then it, 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 it just doesn't the, the the way he sings the chorus is just sort of yeah. like he's bored and the bridge in the end it just like it gets like you're like oh shit this is building yeah this, this actually it's a, the bridge is just this next part can we just hear this part yeah
like that crunchy guitar. Oh, I love that crunchy guitar. That rules. This is cool. This is great. That rules. We, we basically but, listened to the whole song, but the I know, I know, the, but the but the but no, the, no, yeah, no, you never need it. Yeah, it's rules. so it's so satisfying and like, that's great. But like the middle part is just like, eh. yes. But I think that's why gets, it didn't. Yeah, like the, that part those is like great. the super low, like yes. understated drums. Yeah, so interesting. Just like. You're like, oh man, this is so. It's not over. It's just really sort of a low rumble. Yeah, it's so great. It's great. I agree with you. Um, Except it's you know you, these are Lee's favorite songs on the record. I. But you can <laughs> see why this sound no. is a little different from the punk, sure, the sort of fat wreck sound of of the rest I of got it. Got it. Um, but I do like that. I mean, yeah, we should say the music here is by Sean. The lyrics are by Josh. I have no idea what it's about, um, but. Uh, um, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just, I'm guessing. Yeah. Uh, because it's like, is it the wisest choice you made? And then, uh, what were your, th- what were their last words? It's all downhill from here. Right. Um, and it just makes me wonder if it's like being in a band is, yeah, is tough. I mean, like, especially going from 1983 where you're talking about like, uh, you know, mediocrity we're gonna be in insurance or sales or whatever and it's like growing up and being an adult like uh you know it's all downhill from here i don't know that's that's just i don't know yeah if that's like a seems likely yeah um i go for the title track bro the titular matt aragon i always said that This is my number three. Okay. Tell me um, about it. Well, I think, like you said, I, it's not like I like the overall sound and most of the songs um, quite a bit here. But 
it's not like there are a lot of banger songs like there are in building a better me, even if I don't, even if I'm not as into the overall vibe. So having said that, I guess, like you said, it's kind of a soft number three, but um, I do like it. No I think one likes again, a soft three. Bro. <laughs> nobody likes that. Um, <laughs> it's got some no effects vibes. Those drums sound great. Um, and I think the chorus is cool. I mean, maybe to your point, it's not this like anthemic chorus of maybe some other other stuff, but I like that kind of like shouty vocal thing he's doing there. Um, the da, da, da. I just think yeah. that sounds cool. Um, I like the outro a lot as well. I think his vocals sound good there too. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I'm into this mode of them. Um, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I feel like there are songs on albums that aren't for me. Sure. And I don't know. I don't, I mean, this is named after him. I don't know if there's some sort of deeper meaning for that for the band, but. Well, it does seem like someone may be trying to get over a trauma of some kind. Um, but I don't get exactly, I mean, which would fit with the sort of narrative of maybe this guy being a factor in helping them during a traumatic time. But yeah, there's some interesting lyrics like, uh, so this is music and lyrics by Sean, but he says like salvation was a gift, but someone wrapped it wrong. So wrong. And I'm like, what does that mean? <laughs> is that like literal salvation? Are you saying like a traumatic sort of like church experience? Or are you saying like salvation from a bad situation? So I don't know. Another one that I'm like, not really sure what's going on here, but. I do like yeah. it. Um, should we listen to that, that outro? Sure, yeah. that's all really cool i really like the outro i noted yeah. that that that's like one of my favorite parts yeah. of the song and also the uh uh <laughs> it's hard for me to hear life has a funny way without thinking about atlantis, <laughs> atlantis. yes i had the same thought <laughs> life has a funny way of leading you on letting you down letting you know deep inside i try to find I feel like that turned into like Bare Naked Ladies or something. Like. <laughs> Rich um, man. This song kind of just the, the way he started delivering the vocals and started the vocal melody kept reminding me of pigs smell bad, they roll in poo, like the no effects song, uh, Clams Have Feelings too. So anyway, that was kind of the vibe I was going for in my brain with why mm. I liked it so much, I think. There you go. Um, I guess I'm just on a lonely road in my love for it, though. Oh, snap. Oh, man. Oh shit. I love this. I left your arms, no turning back. I chose this lonely, lonely road. I'm on my way. I don't need you. A self sufficient superstar. I'm what can you go? How I'm in home. This life is costing. 
My number two. My number one. Oh shit. The song rules. This is this, like this is probably gonna be my number one. I probably could I probably, the, could I probably could switch. It's the one that I sort of unequivocally think is a great song. Like yeah. I do like the others in my top three, but this is this one is the real standout for me. Yeah. Um it's cool opening, as we were hearing those like bass chords, the the muffled drums. The muffled drums are great. It's very like fun and driving once it gets going. Um, musically, it reminds me of Blink a little bit, like mm, okay. especially that second half of the chorus where it's like "I'll never be ashamed of you." Yeah. That feels very Blink to me. Um, but we got to hear this slidey guitar solo, which rules at uh, one Maybe not the most like virtuoso solo, but I just think that like <laughs> slidey sound all, the, all of a sudden out of nowhere. I'm like, oh, oh wow, this is cool. Yeah. Um, there's some cool oh, oh, oh harmonies at the end. I don't know. I just think it's a really, really fun one. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, I think the song is great. Into it. Um, I was curious about what you would think about this song lyrically. Um, it's sort of a, this narrative about leaving faith, but returning to it. Um, you know, he says in the chorus, down in my heart's where I hide you, yet where I go is where I find you. And I kind of find that to be like a powerful idea personally of being like, you know, I've turned away from you, I've hidden you yet wherever I go, there you are. Um, and it kind of reminded me of, uh, have you read much Flannery O'Connor or wise blood? Um, I've only some Flannery. Okay. She, yeah. So her novel wise blood, I, I would be very curious to, to see what you thought about that as well. Um, but it kind of reminds me of that, you know, it's about this sort of like, um, fake preacher who, turns away from Jesus, but he has this narrative in it about um, he sees Jesus move from the trees, from tree to tree in the back of his mind. He's kind of like haunted by him. So that kind of, that's kind of the vibe I get from this. And I could see hmm. if you are a person who's maybe, um, you know, for whom your faith has been like steady, if sort of deconstructed and reconstructed, that would be a comforting idea. But for somebody who has left it behind, maybe it's almost like a, patronizing idea to be like yeah but ultimately you really want to come back to it right so i just i was just curious about what you thought about that um i mean this is it's one of those things where I, like i said if i'm not listening to the lyrics right, right, i'm right. okay and i also don't want to necessarily make judgments of somebody's sure faith journey and like interpretations of it um and and try and like put my faith journey on top of like their experience, but like I can't, there's sometimes where I, I, there are things I bristle at, you know, yeah. uh, you know, this, I, I, 
this that's why I have a hard time with certain perceived judgments towards, and there are some on this record. I know you talked about how it was less judgmental, but there there's one particular yeah. song I have a I have a I bristle at. But um but also like again not trying to make a judgment about um did you say this was Josh's lyrics? Uh I think Yeah, this is Josh. Yeah. yeah so okay. music uh, by Sean and lyrics by by Josh, um, but the so like leaving God or leaving faith, and you're on the lonely road, sort of like, um, and so maybe he did. That was how he felt. Um, uh, I want to say that that's not the case for everybody that sure. leaves faith. That they they don't have a crushing sense of loneliness or shame because of leaving. Um, my experience has um, been the opposite. I feel much happier and more authentic and more real and seen now than I did. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, for some people, maybe that's where they their identity lies is within their church within their faith and outside of that there's a loneliness but i don't think they're i don't think like it's a mutually exclusive thing where you're just like you're either fulfilled and happy and you have god or you're lonely and because you don't have god uh anyway all right um from we got the juice (laughs) is this a is this this featuring i was gonna say A classic Lizzo jam. Definitely not Lizzo Jam. No, this is my number two. This almost made my top three. It was in my top three up until today, and I made some rearrangements. Sure. Do you know um, what that weird <laughs> audio glitch is? I have in my notes, weird little moment at 31 seconds. I listen to it in multiple formats, like on YouTube and Spotify and other places, and it's in every version. So I can only imagine they're not thrilled about that. <laughs> I don't know. Like the first time I was kind of listening through this, and I was l- blasting it on my speakers. It startled the shit out of me. Yeah, it's very weird. Very weird. I can't. 
it's clearly from another part of the song, but it's just like, why, how did that get, (laughs) make it through? Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. It's a obvious error. I don't know who, did people not listen to this before? Like (laughs) they were like, this one's fine. I don't know. It sounds good. Um, like it's, it's so ob. it's very clearly panned to one side. Right. Need this. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I I do think the song is really interesting. The chord progressions and the sections throughout, there's like one in the verse, then one in the pre-chorus, then one in the chorus, and they're all different. But it's not like sometimes when they do that where I feel like it ultimately it's kind of like meandering and doesn't really add up to anything because I feel like it keeps returning to the central sort of like guitar sound the that I think sounds really cool. Um, like the backing backing harmonies throughout a lot. Mm-hmm. Cool, fuzzy guitar intro and outro, guitar sound throughout. Um, yeah, just really do it. This might be another one, you know, nobody likes the soft number two, even <laughs> even more than soft number three. Um, so I'm not like in love with it, but I, I, I do like it a lot. I like the vibe a lot and the sound. Um, music and lyrics by Sean here. I don't know. I Maybe another one kind of along the same lines of what we're talking about, like sort of not being able to live up to expectations, struggling with the weight of sort of writing or the life of an artist. I don't know. He kind of comes back to like writing a couple times. So, yeah, well, it's uh, dry and defeated, still can't find any reason to carry this pen, carry this weight till I collapse. Um, And the, a lot of these songs are, arranged very curiously yeah there's not like a verse chorus verse chorus bridge chorus sort of format there's like this is verse pre-chorus chorus verse two (laughs) pre-chorus yeah uh chorus but like the choruses are different right yeah they don't have they don't use the same chorus right and the pre-choruses are different too so it's like you're not singing the same stuff. So it's like, I don't know. What is the definition of a chorus? Uh, if, it, right. if it, is it just the same melody or is it, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know. It, but return to refrain or something. Yeah. The second, uh, the second chorus is because I am sick of writing. Get me out before I break, squeeze me like citrus. And my thoughts are running down your chin. Drink up to the vacancy of my head feels as if it's going to fall to pieces. I mean, I think it sounds cool. <laughs> it's yeah, I mean it's 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 hardcore as hell, man. And yeah, this makes me think of like uh maybe they're just not getting out of their music career what they hoped. Yeah. And they're just like yeah. being squeezed of everything yeah. and just like the return on investment is just not there. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, they're not in a great place. That's no, that's that's obvious. But um, the outro, the fall outro, is pretty yeah. is pretty cool. It is very cool. Um, I like yeah. how. Aggressive it is. Well, oh, actually, let me get to the. Little. Yeah, 
I thought that that little yeah. dropout. Little, Super cool. Yeah. And so it. other stuff that kind of reminds me of NoFX, you know, is there. Yeah. We've talked about like the decline and that kind of era where they're just like, let's put like 10 different kinds of sounds into this song. <laughs> something we talked about with uh, producer Jason a little. Yeah. Um, anyway, dig the song. Um, into it. Now um, it's time. We got to open up the Jay's theology corner. Yeah. Let's, um, <laughs> should we listen to some do or die and then sure. open up a brand new segment? Let's do it. All right. Do or die. I killed the son of God today. <laughs> I built the cross where he was slain. My sin, the hand that held the hammer. That drove the nails through his skin. And someday I win. Clutching your head as this, we listen to that. This is my number 12. <laughs> it's funny. Here's what I'll say up top. I like the song musically quite a bit. And maybe it's the kind of thing that just like you cannot see past the problems with the lyrics. But I don't know. I, I think the opening bass and the vocals are cool. I think that reverby guitar sound is cool. I like when the chorus goes to like the halftime. So I'm I'm mostly in on this side. Um but I understand your Open, qualms. The opening of I killed the son of God today. <laughs> it's provocative. It I roll my eyes. It's it is it's so dramatic. It is dramatic. It's, it's kind of like Jesus <laughs> that song from the early days. Yes. Yes. The music and lyrics are by Russell here, uh, yes. which we should say yeah. a little different. Um, I don't mind the concept of saying that you killed Christ in the sense that like we as humanity did, you know, finding an example in that sacrifice to act in the way that Christ calls us to, but it's the like, I win part that really rubs me the wrong way, which he says twice. Like, my sin's the hand that held the hammer that that drove the nails through his skin, but someday I win. I'm like, I don't think this is uh, kind of bums me out to put it in a winning or losing narrative, but uh, yeah, I'll, I'll let, I'll, I'll yield the floor to you for the remainder of analysis of this song. Um, the constant, the consistent shitting on oneself about how yeah. I'm not perfect. I, you did this all for me and it's, I think it like honestly it shifts the focus too much to ourselves. Yeah. And I don't think that is the point. No. 
I don't think the point should be like, um, let's frame the sacrifice as how I benefit from it. Um, because once you're, once you take a personal approach to everything, then the, uh, the community, the communal church just becomes transactional. This is all about my individual salvation. This is not about a, a larger, um, reconciliation of the larger church body. This is just about what can I get out of it? And um, I'm so terrible, but I'm going to get something out of this in the end. I win in the end. Right. Um, Good for you. Yeah. Um, yeah I, I 100 agree with all that. Yeah. Um, but John, we have a, a special guest. Is there someone who can help us I further that, an- analyze this? I think there is somebody who can further uh, parse out the mm. the deeper meanings to what's going on here. It's time for Jay's Theology Corner with Jay Phelan. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Jay Phelan. That's, yeah, to you. <laughs> John, today uh, on, the, on the pod, you know, we've had some very special guests before, but I think this might be one of the more... <laughs> Special guests. Uh, today, we welcome um, my dad, Jay Phelan. He uh former president and dean of North Park Theological Seminary um, and former professor of theological studies at North Park Seminary. Uh, he is an author, most recently, of the book Separated Siblings, an Evangelical Understanding of Jews and Judaism. Uh, He's uh, one of the best people I know, one of the smartest people I know. And when going through this latest album, there's some theological concepts I thought, who better than my dad to uh, help break down these concepts? So, hey, dad, welcome. Welcome to Magnified Pod. Hey, this is an honor. It's pretty cool to be on Magnified Pod. You, know. <laughs> you you honor us by being here. So, <laughs> no, I you know I actually listen. I have, I can't claim to have listened to every episode. <laughs> I, I listen quite frequently, and I have, it's mm-hmm. a lot of fun. I don't know a lot of the music, but that's all right. I don't need to. Well, we normally ask our guests uh, when they first have heard of a band. So I'm not going to ask you when you've first heard of Dogwood because you've probably never heard of dogwood before maybe a day or so ago. Um, but you know, we, this, this season has been a little different for us because the first two seasons, while MXPX and five iron have had roots in the Christian alternative scene uh, their music has not been as especially evangelical as some of the bands that we've been covering this season so far. And by evangelical, I I mean with more of an emphasis on talking about uh, lyrics that sort of focus on the individual uh, spiritual 
journeys or their relationships with Jesus um, and the emphasis on like different theological concepts that maybe weren't as prominent in, you know, every song in the MXPX and five iron discographies. Um, And I, and I've personally had a really challenging time with some of these, with some of the songs as I relate it back to my experiences growing up and some of the uh, struggles that I had with my identity, with my own um, issues of, of uh, concerns about sin and salvation and whether or not God loved me and how, you know, how terrible I was. And some of these themes that kind of recur in a lot of these bands as they were all fairly young when they started writing um, but there's one particular song on this record uh, that has really that really stuck out to me in a way that I had a really tough time with, and that's a song called "Do or Die." And and it it's not unusual in a sense that it promotes a particular s- s- kind of um theology atonement uh, an atonement theory um because there there seems to be an emphasis on there's there's always seems to be an emphasis on i'm terrible but jesus did this this thing for me and all the suffering that jesus went through and that sort of is has been kind of come up quite a bit and i i sent you the lyrics um we talked about it a little bit before but i wanted to get a little bit of a scholar's insight into what is going on in this song and because obviously i have a bias as somebody who has gone through a deconstruction and some people might think well of course andrew's not gonna like this song and of course john is like this liberal progressive guy and his progressive Christianity is different than mine. And so they, they of course are going to have some issues with some of the theology, but as somebody who (laughs) is a scholar and author in theological studies, I wanted to get your insights and get some of your thoughts as to kind of uh, untangling what is going on in this song. Yeah, I, the um, as you say, this is this is a part of the conversation about atonement theory, and it's a very vexed issue. Um, um, a lot of people feel very strongly about how you understand the death, the death of Jesus. I think we need to look at some things that are, that are very um, um, very important. Uh, in, in putting all of this in context. First, that what atonement means is reconciliation, mm-hmm. one, bringing people together. And in the pagan view, you make a sacrifice um, because you've done something wrong uh, or because uh, you want to uh, placate God uh, or that you've offended God in some way. And so this sacrifice is made to God by the individual to get God off your back, right? Mm. Uh, But in the New Testament, and for that matter, in the Old Testament, it's the other way around. Uh, 
it's not that we are trying to get God off our back. It's that God is pursuing us. Um, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. In other words, this turns on its head the whole pagan notion that, that God is angry at us uh, and is, uh, is going to blast us unless we offer a proper sacrifice to him. That's really not the, uh, the understanding of, of, uh, that's foundational in the New Testament or, as I say, in the Old Testament. Now, can you get language like that here and there? Sure you can. Uh, but, but that's not the mainstream, and that's not the main idea. God is the one who pursues us. The great uh, Jewish uh, thinker, Abraham Joshua Heschel, put it, uh, you know, in, in, his, in one of his books, the Bible is not the story of God's, of man's search for God. He doesn't use inclusive language, so you can pardon that. It's not the story of man's search for God, but God's search for man. Uh, it is God who is pursuing us rather than us pursuing God. And in the New Testament, you have all of these metaphors about what Christ's death accomplishes, the taking away of sin, the removing of sin, the deliverance of people from the slavery to sin, deliverance of people like the Israelites were delivered from Egypt, the canceling of sin, uh, the ransoming, uh, and we'll talk about ransoming language in a little bit, justification, declared not guilty, that's law court language. Uh, and yeah, you get, you get language of sacrifice in there as well. But these are all metaphors. Mm -hmm. uh, they're walking around describing something that's, that's happened. Uh, and, the, and the problem throughout the rest of the history of the church is people try to take these metaphors and to put them on all four legs and to turn them into a system. You know, you take a series of pictures uh, and rather than looking at them as pictures, you analyze the paint. You know, you you, uh, um, you know you look at the notes on the page, and you analyze the composition of the ink rather than playing the music. And if you think about the the, the Bible as the music, far too much time has been analyzing the ink rather than listening to the music. Uh -huh. um, and and so as as time developed, there were a number of theories that. Some of them did a better job than others of, of walking around what these various images meant. Um, but let me say, none of these are going to work if you render God powerless. Right. If you say that God is powerless to forgive, that means that there's something greater than God out there. Hmm. If, you think, if you say that God is powerless to forgive, that means that God has no freedom. So some of the problems with some of the language that you have here, and I'll get to that in a minute, are, are problems of the freedom of God. And they're, and they're frankly, for more orthodox forms of Christianity, problems with the idea of the Trinity. Um, so very quickly, there is a view that what the atonement about is about Christ's victory over sin and evil. Uh, this is sometimes called Christus Victor view. And this is clearly some, uh, at least one way that Paul thought about uh, the atonement, that Christ was a victor over sin and evil. Uh, he 
rose from the dead victorious over the forces of evil that tried uh, to destroy him in the world. And for Paul, uh, the key word is participation. And we participate with Christ in his death and resurrection, Paul says. And by dying with him and being raised with him, we share in that victory. Uh, and that uh, uh, the presence of God's spirit then is a way of enabling that victory to continue. Um, now, does that say everything? No, but I think it says it's a pretty powerful way of thinking about what it means to confront uh, uh, our own failures, uh, to have them forgiven by God because we have participated in the death and resurrection of Christ. Uh, the second view is sometimes called the ransom view. And again, the, the ransom language is language of a slave, mm -hmm. someone who's been enslaved, or a person who's um, a prisoner of war. And so uh, in, the, in the Greco Roman world, if you wanted uh, to uh, liberate a slave or liberate a prisoner of war, you had to pay money to, to get them liberated. You had to pay ransom. Well, some of the early Christian thinkers said, okay, that makes sense. So who's the ransom being paid to? And they thought, well, who's the, who's the power of this world? Well, it's the devil. So the ransom then is paid to the devil. And, and what this means is that Jesus offers himself his death to the devil to liberate all of these slaves and, and prisoners, and the devil accepts it, but it's a trick because he it gets raised from the grave. Now, you guys ought to know this because my guess is you've all read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Sure. Yes. Aslan. And, and you know what happens. Remember that all traitors belong to the White Witch and Edmund uh, mm -hmm. traitor, right? And so Aslan, oh, right. he's going to to die to set the traitor free. Mm -hmm. And uh, so he dies, and they're all weeping and everything. And then he comes back to life, uh, and he says that the White Witch didn't know the deep magic. Well, that's mm -hmm. the ransom theory. Mm -hmm. And... and um, Again, as a metaphor, all right, that, that's okay. I can, I can see the sense of being liberated. But if you want to take that and, 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 and put it on all four legs, you've got a real problem uh, because you, you've uh, uh, empowered the devil in a way, and you've, you've turned the devil into almost another god. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, But... It, it's interesting that when C.S. Lewis chooses to write about atonement, he uses that, that ancient patristic ransom theory. The next figure uh, that is important is a man named Anselm of Canterbury. He wrote a book called uh, Cur Deus Homo, Why a God-Man? And uh, it's important that this is medieval, right? As is important that the ransom theory was at the time of the Greco-Roman world, where they understood about slaves and prisoners of war. Uh, so human beings, and some said by sinning, have violated God's honor. 
And God is like a, a feudal lord. And if you are uh, one of the uh, you know, servants of this feudal lord and you have violated his honor, uh, there's no way that you as a peasant can uh, restore the honor that you have taken away from him. I mean, that would change. That would change a lot of worship songs if you <laughs> if you would sing songs to your feudal lord. Yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> doesn't doesn't really roll off. No, oh, God is a feudal lord. He reigns <laughs> over all of us, serfs. <laughs> <laughs> well, but that's the way Anselm was singing, and see that that's one of the the problems and also the possibilities of atonement theory that you put it in cultural terms that you right. can understand. Yes. And that's, that's good and bad, right? I mean, it, it's helpful and it's harmful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in this case, uh, this is what, if the first one was word was participation, the second word was ransom. This is satisfaction. Mm-hmm. So the honor of the feudal Lord needs to be satisfied so the honor of God needs to be satisfied. So uh, Christ comes as both God and man. So as God, he can offer satisfaction to God. And as man, he can offer satisfaction for man. Okay? So he had to be both God and man to be able to satif- satisfy uh, the way that God had been dishonored by human sin. Uh, and that satisfaction theory uh, became the major atonement theory all the way up to the, uh, the Reformation. Uh, and you participated in that satisfaction uh, by participating in the Mass uh, um, eating the actual body and blood of Christ, uh, and and uh, take and taking that into your life. Um, but the the real turn that has impacted the evangelical way of thinking, oh, not just evangelical, but uh, many traditions uh, up until the modern era, was with Calvin. Mm-hmm. Uh, now Calvin was a lawyer. Very logical, very structured, and what uh, and what Calvin did is he took the satisfaction theory and he gave it a bit of a turn, and he said that uh, human beings are sinners who are condemned and worthy of punishment, right? Mm-hmm. And and they they've committed sin becomes a crime in this case. And, and it's like you stand before a judge and you've been convicted of a crime and there's nothing you can do to repay the crime that you've committed. Uh, and so then Christ's satisfaction here, because really this is a subcategory of the satisfaction theory, is uh, his dying for us to pay the penalty of our crime and so that's called penal substitutionary atonement. And that's what you have in this song, uh, that, that uh, we, we have committed a crime. Uh, and key here is that God can't forgive it. 
Again, which to me is problematic. You were saying that God is powerless to forgive. Right. There is something. There is something greater than God. Then there's something over God, right? That that God is incapable of, of forgiving. And the other problem with this is that it sounds to me like you've gone back to a pagan theory where Christ is being sacrificed to God. Hmm. Which, if you think about that two minutes, it's patently absurd. Uh, how I mean, it's, a, it's a problem within the Trinity. It's a problem of reversing what uh, Paul says about God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, that God's motivation was to bring us back into a relationship with him. Uh, and, and you've turned this into some sort of a, uh, a quid pro quo that God has to be paid off and what he has to be paid off with is the death of Christ. And that's, that's the way Calvin read that misreading, I think the new Testament, uh, and, uh, uh, providing us with a notion that the only important thing about Christ was that he came to die. And in the evangelical world, uh, what's important in the New Testament is not the Gospels where Christ offers his teachings on how to live, but uh, the Pauline letters and other places where his death is interpreted. Um, as Andrew and I were talking about this the other day, and I, I said, for some people, it's almost as if Christ, or Jesus might as well have been killed as a baby and then, you know, and be done with it. Right. Uh, and so, to me, this is a very problematic theological notion that um, disempowers God, makes God incapable of forgiving, and calls out the kind of guilt that you were talking about earlier, Andrew. Right. And um, I think to see the atonement as, as Christ encountering uh, uh, the bondage and evil that we live with, living into it all the way to the point of death and carrying us with him from death to life uh, is a powerful way of looking at what's accomplished. And then saying that the way our sins are forgiven uh, is through our repentance and our calling upon God to be forgiven and consistently throughout the New Testament and, in fact, the again, the Old Testament as well, uh, um, it is clear that, that God is capable of forgiving sins. The rabbis say uh, the gates of repentance are always open. And, and rather than getting tangled up in the mechanics of atonement, to look at the death of Christ as a way in which we um, face and encounter our sin, uh, die to it, and are raised with him into new life is a much more positive way of viewing it. Uh, so you're saying uh, reading the Bible literally and thinking about yourself as a piece of garbage uh over time could lead to some problematic issues. Yeah, I mean, if you're a piece of garbage, why is God making all this effort? 
<laughs> right? What, what's the point? Yeah. Why is God pursuing you? Uh, um, you know, the, if, if God can't stand you, can't stand the world, uh, uh, is incapable of, you know, this other thing, God's incapable of looking upon our sin. Right. You know, you know what, what's God's problem then? That, that again, renders God uh, weak, uh, powerless, and uh, unfree. Right. Uh, I mean, that's the, the chorus of the song is, because when it came to do or die, you died for me, though I would be nothing perfect for human eyes to see. So it's, uh, this, this, it's, it, I have such a hard time with that kind of language because if you're telling generations of kids, you know, you go, cause you go, you, you know, you have a house where I, presumably kids are loved by their parents and told that they're cared for, but then they go to church and they're told, well, actually, you're a terrible, dirty sinner who deserves to die. Um, like, what are you supposed to do with that? And you can't sit them down and explain, well, let me tell you about Anselm and how the draw line from Anselm to Cal- like the, the it's, but so when you put it in these really basic terms, like, yeah, it's, it's, it's really, it's really tough. And I mean, that was stuff that, you know, I, it was so pervasive within evangelical circles in, in the nineties that it's just like, because that's not what you were teaching me. It's like, it's, and, but like what, but like what we talked about, like, you know, uh, you might be teaching something different. Something else might be taught different, uh, at church. You go to these different youth conferences with, they might have say something different. Your friends might be say, say something different. Like, um, me and, you know, and, uh, John's wife, Jenny, like we would go to heart and soul and they definitely had a very different way of talking about probably, probably more along the lines of this way of this, this way of thinking. Uh, and you're like, what are you supposed to, how are you supposed to parse a lot of this stuff out? But, um, I mean, and it's, but it's also really easy when you're a teenager to already think, man, I'm, I suck anyway. So you're just like, might as well just, uh, think about it this way. You know, there's a, you remember the old, uh, uh, I guess, Campus Crusade for Christ. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Mm. Um, and I always thought you should finish that by saying, but if you cr- screw up, you're miserable, you miserable sinner. He's going to send you to hell for all eternity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's, it's just a, 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 it's a tightrope thing. And, um, and, you know, the the way that so many people view God as kind of an abusive parent, that as long as you do what God wants you to do, uh, um, you know, he's okay with you, or or, or maybe uh, some kind of a grandiose narcissist that, you know, as long as you, as you, as you please God, he's going to be happy with it, but you step out of line and, you know, he's going to cut you off at the knees. And I, that's the way that some of this, the, you know, atonement theory has communicated to people. And I, and I think it's just wrong. As it, Andrew and I have talked about this, that in spite of everything, I think there is love at the center of the universe. 
At the center of it all is the powerful love of God who wants to call us into love and call us to love each other. And, and even the death of Christ is a call to love, a call to love in the midst of suffering in spite of it all. And, and rather than being uh, called out because of our sin, I want to think of us being called into love uh, so that we can be a part of the reconciliation of the world. Um, you know, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 that we have been given a portfolio of reconciliation. That's our job, to engage in reconciling with each other, uh, with God, and, um, and it's that love in the center of the universe that calls us to that, and it's a love that transcends death. And to, uh, to me, that's, that's the meaningful thing, uh, you know, it's no surprise to any of us that we screw up, right? I mean, that's, that's just part of the human condition. Uh, and at the same time, I don't think it's any surprise to God. Um, someone said, uh, the way God looks at us, and this is the way I think about love at the center of the universe. It's, you know, like when, 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 when your son brings home a picture from, from school, John, that, that he's drawn, and you put it up on the refrigerator, and, you know, it's not going to go on the Chicago Museum of Art, but to you, that's, that's precious and it's beautiful. And I, um, and I don't want to sentimentalize it, but I, I think that um, if we looked more at the nature of holy love than uh, unholy fear, mm. uh, we might have something to say. There might be some gospel in there. Mm. So, Amen. So anyway, and all God's people said, <laughs> I mean, I have a, a kind of follow up that might open a whole other can of worms, but if there is a way to sort of succinctly answer, why do you think that those roots from Calvin, the, the reformed roots, and I realize reformed is a very broad word, but so often in these lyrics that we're parsing, it's kind of this reformed theology. Why do you think that took such hold of the evangelical church and kind of the rising church of the sort of nineties when, when mega churches were on the rise, what do you think it was about that particular atonement view that, that became so central to that movement? Well, I mean, it, it's been central to evangelicalism for a long time. It wasn't, I mean, you go listen to the old Billy Graham sermons. That's, sure. You're going to get the same thing. And yeah. you go back into the, into the 19th century, you're going to get the same thing. Yeah. I, I think the appeal is in the logic of it. Mm -hmm. And again, let, let's think about how we think in our culture about crime and punishment, right? Mm -hmm. uh, if you don't, you know, don't do the crime if you can't do the time. Uh, crime has to be punishment. There has to be some, you know, weighing out of this and, and, and so we uh, are, the framework of our culture is very much uh, um, a crime and punishment framework, or even an honor and shame, even though not in, in, in the old sense, or, or a guilt. Uh, so if you're guilty of a crime, uh, that needs to be evened out. That needs to be punished. Uh, and, and so we, we, when someone comes out of prison after serving their time, we say they've, they've paid, you know, they've paid the price and, 
And so that I think is so logical to people. Sure. Makes sense to them. You know, you've, you've done something wrong. You got to pay for it. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. and, and the fact that um, you've done something wrong against God means that it's a pretty big price that you got to pay back. I, I, I think it's uh, for all, for all of it being a, a blunt object, there's a kind of an elegance and simplicity to it that people can understand. Mm -hmm. and, that, and that makes it all the much more difficult to confront. And as Andrew suggested, you don't always think about the implications that that has for a kid in the youth group. Yeah. Um, and, and how they can carry that sense of guilt, uh, not just for, for who they are, I mean, for what they've done, but for who they are, because then in our culture, particularly more recently, the shame part of it is if, if you've done something that has shamed yourself, that's, that's your stuck. Mm -hmm. That's with you forever. You're never, you're never getting out from under that. Um, and that, that can be particularly damning and particularly difficult for people to, to deal with. I mean, also just briefly, um, this idea that like all things need to even out is contrary to the gospels itself. When you think about some of the parables that Jesus talks about, I think about like exactly. you know, the, the like the the parable of like the workers in the vineyard, and it's like they're like, wait a second, like we worked more, we deserve. Like, why, why, how's this going to even out? And he's like, what can I tell you? The first will be last and the last will be first. You know, right. it, it just, that's not exactly, uh, just like sort of, uh, lifting up the lowly seems to be more, uh, there's more of an emphasis <laughs> rather than like, well, let's, uh, let's, you know, make sure that we, you know, cross our I's and dot our T's and make sure everything comes out uh, equally when he's just like, well, what if I just like, I don't know, gave love to everybody. And like, what about that? Does that sound good or what? Well, the prodigal son, you know, another right. perfect the, Sure. The elder brother, really mad, you know? Mm -hmm. I've been here working my butt off. Mm -hmm. This clown son of yours, they even call him his brother. Mm-hmm been out there wasting his money on prostitutes and mm -hmm. you know, wine and you're going to, you know, sacrifice a fatted calf for him. Right. Uh, it, and it seems to me, as you were saying, a lot of the point of the parables is that, you know, God isn't really fair. <laughs> yeah. He, he doesn't exactly, he doesn't give us what is, what we deserve. That's exactly the point. Mm -hmm. And, and you want to turn it into some, a simplistic quid pro quo that uh, um, God has to be paid off, and Jesus appears to be saying that no, that's that's not that's that's the problem. That's one of the things he's coming to address. It's almost like that's what happens when you skip over all the gospels and just get to the death part. <laughs> you think? Yeah, yeah. I feel like that's part of the irony of a lot of my experience in the evangelical church is like there's not a lot of emphasis on the gospels and the, you know, there's a lot of Paul um, and there's a lot of, uh, you know, 
death uh, for my sake, uh, to your point, Jay. But that's been the part that's always surprised me. And maybe it is the the logic thing. The gospels aren't logical. And that's Jesus uses parables to try and explain this love that we can't understand. So anyway, I hope more kids today can hear more about that love being at the center of everything. And um, I'm a little hopeful that things are trending in that direction for some, but you know, I don't know. I'm sure a lot of this stuff is still uh, traumatizing kids everywhere. <laughs> so, <laughs> You know, let me say about Paul, yeah, you, we hear Paul, but the, the problem with that is that uh, for the last 400 years or so, we've, we've read Paul through the lens of Luther and Calvin. Right. And we haven't read Paul. Right. Yep. yep. And uh, Paul says some things that in a modern, for modern people are problematical. But my gosh, he says some things that are revolutionary if you're paying attention. Yeah. Uh, and... But that's a whole nother story. I won't get sure. into that. But I yeah, just yeah. Paul has been horribly abused by his sure. I didn't mean to, to throw Paul under the bus there, but I'm just saying <laughs> I, I heard much more of him than I ever did of the gospels in certain churches I was part of. You heard much more of him as he was filtered to yes, use yes. to Calvin, is my point. Exactly. Right. So I mean, John and I uh discussed this that, you know we might have to have Jay's theology corner, uh, you know, have you do your little, little micro sermons about it or something, or just like any, any particular topic that we, that we're like, Oh, this, this could be interesting. Have a little bit more context. And, you know, I just, I also just want to give a little bit more context for people who might be like, well, you know, what's this guy's deal. And that your deal is that you were, part of uh, an evangelical denomination for about four decades. So, or maybe longer. How, how, how long would you say dad? Oh, well, I mean, also most of my, I mean, my whole life, you know, most of my life and um, for whatever difficulties I have with the evangelical world, and they are considerable these days, very many. That's, that's my native land. You know, that's, mm -hmm. that's what I grew up in. It's painful to see what's happening. Yeah. I, uh, I was telling, and Andrew saw this, I know that I I have a, a Twitter feed that I have only about 200 followers, and I rarely tweet. Mm -hmm. But the other day I tweeted, will the last person out of evangelicalism turn out the lights? Mm. And I yep. got nearly 900 likes, which is unprecedented. Wow. Yeah, well, maybe a sign you should be tweeting more. Well, yeah. although one guy said, you're horrible. So. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like Twitter. Well, we should say uh, you can find Jay's books under the name John E. Phelan Jr. Thank you for coming by and smarting up our, our podcast, Jay. <laughs> Great to be with you guys. Thanks, Ed. Um, take care. All right. Take care. So I want to thank Dr. Jay Phelan. Yes. Uh, the, the, the good reverend, Dr. Mm. Jay Phelan, for sharing his thoughts on and that little mini sermon on yes. different different sorts of atonement theology and atonement theory. Um, yeah, we're going to have to have him back to break down other theological concepts. I don't know why we have, right. I don't know why it's taken almost three years yeah. for us to think about this. This is a good idea. Um, 
we've had your brother on, we've had your dad on. We just need like maybe your mom could talk about teaching or something as it relates to one of his songs. In yeah, the we'll get we'll get some uh, we'll get some of my mom's thoughts on on public school systems, cool, and public education <laughs> and the importance of teachers' unions, all that. Man, maybe we can open up the box on a future episode if it talks about schools, and she can come weigh in on that one. Oh man, yeah. Anyway, yeah, I um, remember. I I still remember. Uh, I think this is back in the the W days when they were uh, talking shit about the NEA, and and she was just mm-hmm. like losing her mind over yeah. how they were like talking about teachers and teachers unions and like. I just feel like that was just sort of the beginning of the end. The, yeah. the, the Bush administration's sort of the anti-intellectual, anti-school, anti-public school, anti-teacher. Yep. Uh, and it's just sort of like, um, just sort of like the anti-collective bargaining and like the, the, the Scott Walkers of the world, just like truly, truly terrible people. Um, but you know who's not terrible people is the Feeling family. So uh, well, thankful for all of them. <laughs> thanks, bro. Um, I uh, there was there was something on uh, I tweeted about this uh, earlier today. So John Oliver was on Fallon recently, mm-hmm. and they're playing this game, this sort of party game called Hey Robot. And what they do is they have a, like an Amazon Alexa Mm -hmm. and they have a sort of like a word or a phrase where they need to try and ask questions to Amazon Alexa to get her to say the particular word or phrase that's on a card. Okay. And, and like, that's pretty funny. And John Oliver was, uh, getting pretty feisty and he asked the Amazon Alexa, he's like, hey, Alexa, what is union busting? <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty great. And I was like, oh, my God, I love that. I love That's that great. so much. Yes. Um, because, yeah, what we you know, we don't need less of uh, unions to oversee. Uh, yeah, because, yeah, if uh, <laughs> un- unchecked, unchecked power and greed, that always goes well, right? No problems oh. there. No problems when the workers have no uh, recourse for, I mean, even, even currently like Amazon, you know, just like in the 21st century in 2021, just absolute abhorrent conditions. But that is another episode. <laughs> Sounds like you've made a point. Is there a counterpoint? Oh, <laughs> i
also, um, this is one of those songs that doesn't have a chorus. Right. <laughs> you know, I was yeah. talking about the structure of some of the songs, like yeah, verses and two verses and two bridges. Two bridges. That's that's right, baby. That's, that's the John Potter that, way. That's the John Potter way. It's like double those bridges. Just get just get rid of verse one and two. Just add just add two more bridges. <laughs> Another bridge. <laughs> um, bridge on bridge on bridge. <laughs> I'm glad they do that though, because I think that sort of slow down there in that bridge that we were hearing with that funky bass line and the reverb guitar is really cool. I don't know. Yeah. I feel like they're doing some cool stuff here. I want to I want to shout out our boy uh, Jason Harper. Yes. Um, We've we've been talking with him a little bit on, on slide the, into those DMs. Talking to my little bit on on Instagram and yeah, I I feel like we don't like I've given him a little little love on some of those bass lines, but like I think there's some really fun and interesting bass lines and bass stuff going on on this record. And I think he's, yeah, he's always great. I always love his bass lines. I would say they feel more prominent in the mix here, and I enjoy it a lot. Right. Um. Yeah, like that a lot. Um, interesting sort of cool guitar sound in the ending too. But I think just throughout, again, kind of like no effects vibes. The, the melody feels sort of no effectsy to me. I like the fast punk sound with the drums. Um, it's not my favorite song ever, but I, I definitely like it quite a bit. Yeah. Um, music and lyrics by Sean again here. I I think it's a breakup song. I don't know, <laughs> something like that. Yeah. Uh. Uh, emphasis on his own mistakes right and, right yep just like the rest of the album <laughs> yep <laughs> yeah if it's not if you're not disappointing god you're disappointing uh someone in a relationship right um sun won't come out today mm. it's a it's a bummer it is. um and a uh a series of songs yes that uh, I find very curious and just like the, the naming alone, but it's a little three song block, little, yeah, yeah. little rock opera here. Yeah, let's go. Singular. John, help me with this one. <laughs> I don't know if I can help you lyrically. Uh, perhaps a girl or God song. But again, it's about mistrust of self, like we were saying. That's kind of what it keeps coming back to. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Sean but, did. But you're, yeah, there's, there's, you're my only hope. That's what I have. You're my only hope. That's what I have today. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I assumed this song is about God. 
Yeah, uh, but this is also another one of the songs where the you changes. Right, exactly. That's why your I was, like, position's confused. deceiving. Yes, uh, and then it talks about you're my only hope. Right. So I don't, I don't know the the different verses shift, but right. uh, people are happy just being sad. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I think just in general that is not true. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I don't. I don't understand that line. There's clearly something behind it, and maybe it's said in sort of an ironic way, or I don't know. But maybe. I mean, Dogwood is not known for their strong <laughs> sense of irony. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Sean did the music and lyrics for all three of these kind of back-to-back songs that bleed into each other, and they're all a little bit like I don't really know what's going on with any of them. So yeah, there's some questionable phrases like that, though. Yes, and that this is what I'm saying. Like, uh, we're we're moving on to so that was singular. Challenger is next. Um, I want to say quickly about singular. Okay, I really like the bass sound on it. Speaking of oh, Jason, the bass is great. The bass bass is rules, great. drums sound great. I like the melody here, and I think when the backing harmonies come in, that sounds really cool. Yeah, they made some uh, really interesting choices on those harmonies, sure. and I. The high, the high harmony, I think, makes it really yeah. stick out, as opposed Agreed. to like what we were saying again. Like, we're like, ooh, oh, your ears perk up at, right. at that part. Exactly. You're like, oh, okay, this is this is this is something different. Yeah. Challenger, bro. So much flange on this record. Yeah. That is half the song. Yeah. <laughs> it's a short one. It is a minute seven. I really like this one. I think it's really cool. Um <laughs> disagree. It doesn't it doesn't really do it doesn't really do anything for me. I think it's a uh, like I said at the beginning that there I don't I don't know. I like I noticed a lot of flange yes. on this on the in, like for people who aren't familiar with what flange is i'm not trying to be like condescending but like i don't i don't know if that's really a not like flange or pedals yes and guitars yeah it's that i think it's cool that's what that sound it's sort of like the, yeah uh i don't know it's I, I i sort of identify flange with maybe this era or a little earlier sure and i don't know i think it's okay i think used in um um, you know, when we think, I think about, uh, tremolo, you think of like REM's <laughs> monster. Right. And when you think about flange, you think of Matt Aragon by Dogwood. That's right. You gotta, gotta use that flange sparingly. <laughs> exactly. Um, no, I, yeah, I think it's cool. I think it's short. I, again, feels like a continuation of the last song. No idea what it means. Once again, um, that's all I got. Um, and then Reasoner, this is, uh, we'll only play a little bit of this because it's 30 seconds, 30 seconds. But there's yeah. something else there. It's in all our hearts. On the t- 
<sighs> um, but there's something else there. It's in all our hearts, on the tip of our tongues, and you don't believe. But what if there is? What if you're wrong? Mm. They don't understand. It's like you got framed. People are dumb. <laughs> you take all the blame. Um, is you God? <laughs> um, Who got framed? Who takes all the blame? Christians? There are... Um, I think it's maybe on Seismic. I can't remember. There's at least one sort of like... I think it's on Seismic. Uh, it's sort of like pseudo-Christian persecution song. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like... People not wanting to listen to someone talk about their faith or someone not wanting to become a Christian or being upset that someone's being proselytized to. Yeah. Like that's not persecution. Right. Someone, someone like not understanding or not wanting to listen is not a crime against being a Christian. That is a song faith. Yeah. Not the George Michael, Limp Biscuit cover that we yes. talked about previously, but yes. that's on seismic. We'll get we'll get to there on the Patreon this week. Yeah, um, yeah. I this one was like so jarring that I almost thought like maybe it's not about God or he's like people are dumb. I mean, I know as you said, Dogwood not always like <laughs> maybe the most poetic or whatever, but like that seems so like on the nose and aggressive that I'm like very judgmental. Yeah, is he literally just saying people who don't believe in God are dumb? That seems off so i'm like maybe it's not quite that but i don't know maybe it is just that well uh i don't know how else to interpret you're you know you're all that i need you're all that i have you're all i want yeah but people are dumb but people are dumb because (laughs) yeah (laughs) uh, i don't think god likes hearing somebody write a song about loving god and being like people are dumb that's i'm just gonna go out on a limb and say god's not down with that yeah, and um, this is again, this is more stuff that we'll talk about on seismic, but like the presupposition is like, you know, what if you're wrong? The presupposition is like you're you're assuming you're right. And yeah. like when if you start from a place of like you're right, everyone else is wrong and dumb. Like Well that's, that's yeah. That's why I was almost like, is there something else going on? Because I was like, what if he's saying, like, what if we're wrong? You know, but maybe that's not what he's doing. It's that that's as that is that's that is on another song on seismic. There's another Mm. another sort of like, you know, what if I'm wrong? What if we're wrong? What if you're wrong? Like just sort of like that, like it's it's framed framed in like a more questioning way as opposed to like you, 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 you're wrong. They don't understand. You, people are dumb. So I'm having a hard time interpreting this <laughs> any other way just by like reading the words as they are said. Yeah, totally fair. Like now, if, I you will wanted, say... if you want to be a little bit more pointed, maybe don't be as vague as people are dumb. <laughs> fair note. <laughs> um, not not my favorite line uh, here, no, but... No. Um, I will say musically, I think it's really cool. I think Whoa. I like, the, I love the, Whoa. the chord progression is cool yeah. too. Yeah. I'm, I'm into it. Um, so 
What can I say? People yes. are dumb. I like it's, the song. It's too. It's too bad that the words around the woes are are <laughs> bummers. Yeah. Um, you alluded to this song earlier. <laughs> now we've played nearly the whole song. Um, you alluded to this next song earlier. This is a song I, I like, so we'll we'll see. Uh, a hope unseen. Ooh. What's this? this whole song i don't know what do you think um i i like this more than for what it's worth yeah uh well yeah certainly (laughs) Um, i think this has a little bit more poeticism and uh I you know it's it's I don't it's not a song that I would put on and be like oh yeah hell yeah you know <laughs> sure um, but it's you know I still musically I, I enjoy it yeah I I like the sound a lot I like the melody um like you said there is another song after this one but it's a hidden track like it's not listed on the album so I think it doesn't fully count so this feels to me like a good album closer. Um, it's about hope in God, obviously, but I don't know. I feel like by the time it gets to the ending, like, can we hear some of the guitar part, uh, like 303? I really like that. Yeah, just like, feels like a cool culminating place. I like kind of ending on that vibe. Yeah. Uh, I think that would be in a fine place to 
And I'm curious if this is like why they didn't include um for what it's worth, uh, for what it's worth in the packaging or on the I think it's essentially like a hidden track. I mean, it's completely different from the rest. It's basically just like a worship song. It is very much a worship song. So I could see why they're like, we're going to throw this acoustic emo worship song in as like a bonus. Um, Doesn't count to me (laughs) as a real song, (laughs) but let's hear some of it. All right. For what it's worth, thank you. It feels like we're at chapel in college. hundred percent. For what I'm worth, take me. I don't <laughs> like the dehumanizing language. Mm. It just, I just, I don't, I really don't like it. I don't want that for people. Yeah, right. I really don't. And I don't want people to see this as a criticism of their faith. I just, when I hear someone shitting on themselves, I don't like it. Like for what I'm worth, like I just hate it. I don't want someone to think of themselves in such terms. And I think that's why I have such a hard time. Yeah. Some of these songs. And it's not because I don't want people to be Christian or I don't want people to have their own faiths. I just know that I spent decades feeling this way and I know how I felt and I don't want people to wake up every day feeling like, well, for what I'm, whatever I'm worth, I guess I'm just a worthless piece of garbage. And it just, right. and it just hurts me. And I don't know if that's like a, I don't know if that's like the empathetic side of me or what, but like, it just, I just, it just, I have a really hard time uh, swallowing that that sort of language i'm with you it feels very of a piece with the sort of ccm praise and worship of the time uh not my style but musically is you know fine for what it is i don't know it's pretty enough but it's uh, worth you know yeah for what it's worth it's uh i probably if i had heard it at the time had would suggest playing it in my praise band in chapel (laughs) in college um no i don't know this was never really my vibe so you would have you would have wanted to throw in some uh some thick bass lines though bro that's right no i probably would have like (laughs) wanted to play lonely road in chapel that'd be cooler (laughs) um that's right yeah i don't know it's fine i totally hear you and what better way to transition to our album rankings in our 10 song set list than by saying I'm so worn down by Dogwood. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm sorry. You know, <laughs> no, it's okay. I, I'm not like as I've as I've said and as I said to Jason <laughs> on uh, on Instagram. You know, he, he was saying like you know, essentially being like, hey, you know, knowing that like bands could be listening that takes guts, and it's like, and I said we don't go out of our way to be, we're not trying to be assholes. We're not trying to be dicks about anything or like be intentionally controversial or anything. Like we're just two dudes who grew up in the scene, giving our honest takes Yeah. um, from our experience at the time and like where we are now. And like, you know, and it's not just because we're looking back on certain albums through a nostalgic lens, because when we talked about uh, Slick Shoes, Far From Nowhere was not an album either of us had heard. 
Yeah. And that was near the top of our album ranking list. Yes. And, um, you know, so, um, so do you want to do, should we do, uh, you want to do album rankings first? Sure. Start with, uh, start with number seven. Do you want to go first? Sure. This is another one where I will be curious to see. I know there's one instance where our rankings will be different, but I, I'm guessing that they're going to be fairly close, but we'll see. We'll see. I don't know. Uh, number seven, this is not a new album. Uh, not not a lot for me here. <laughs> no. Um, my number seven is Good Old Days. Okay. Yeah, that's where we'll differ. Yeah. Um, six I had Through Thick and Thin. Okay. All right. Um, um, do you have that one higher? Yes. My number six is This Is Not a New Album. Okay. Yeah. I mean... Uh, this is a tricky one because as I was alluding to earlier, a couple of my favorite Dogwood songs are on Through Thick and Thin. Um, right. All Hands on Deck, one of my very favorites. But as a, as a listen through the album, it's a slog for me. It gets real tough. Right. Um, well, so. <laughs> yes. I'll, I'll make a qualification as we get through the rest of the, sure. the list, but I'll I'll explained some of my thinking as well yeah and that came up for me a couple times because i'm like there are songs here that should push it higher but i just couldn't as a listen it, it it's a bummer for me yeah uh number five also more or less a bummer good old days uh which i do like overall more than through thick and thin this is not a new album because it's a little more in my lane of fast fun punk that i can just sort of put on and not slog through like i have to with the other two sometimes right right um, my number five is seismic. Okay. My number four is seismic. Hmm. Uh, we'll get there in the Patreon, but this falls kind of right in the middle for me. I feel like there's kind of a first half chunk and a second half chunk. Uh, and I, you know, not to spoil our takes, but I do like that album quite a bit, but my top three are definitely, uh, much more likely that I'll return to than yeah. four through seven. Yeah. Um, my number four is through thick and thin. Okay. Uh, number three, Matt Aragon. Matt Aragon is my number three as well. All right. And from here on out, we're going to be the same because these are the three good albums. Number two, <laughs> building a better me. Building a better me. Number one, more than conquerors. More than conquerors. Yeah. I, you know, I don't think it's any surprise that those two albums are at our top. Um, I think most people would put them there. Um, but again, building a better me, not maybe like my overall mode that I'm as into is maybe the sound on Matt Aragon, but there are better songs here. There's a, there's just so many great songs on that record. And yes. the first two albums I will, you know, you were saying like some of these songs, some of these albums we've covered have not been in our regular rotation. I have had no Dogwood albums ever. And most of the stuff we've covered has been brand new and yeah. there's been stuff that has bummed me out. And there's been stuff like, these first few records that and songs from other ones that I'll return to regularly. Like I like a lot of it. A lot of it has been a little more problematic than we've been used to having on the pod, but right. Right. Um, no, the highs are really high for me. Yes. There are some, some true peaks and valleys. Yeah. Um, and 
I'll I'll say this, and this is sort of like talking about like what I was saying, you know, my my essentially the four through sevens. Uh, mm-hmm. It doesn't re- the the order of those is not really important to me because right. the likelihood of me regularly returning to a number of those like right. good old days or this is not a new album, you know, like yeah. probably not going to find me thrown on those albums with any regularity. Agreed. So it doesn't really uh, sort of splitting hairs when it comes to like the ranking of those. Yeah. Um, but you know, more than conquerors building better me, Matt Aragon, and even through thick and thin to some extent, like, yeah, uh, there's some, there are more songs on those, on the, on these four albums that stand out to me or more striking to me. Um, yeah. but yeah, uh, but you know, we're talking, you know, talking early stuff. The early stuff is, is early stuff. So, right. Um, unless True you, for unless you have, bands. yeah, unless you have that, Nostalgia. Right. Um, that's always a saving factor. For sure. Setless? Uh, um, Setless, bro. I felt pretty good about this. I wasn't sure at first, but where I landed, right. I'm happy. All right. Um, all right. Who should go first? Why don't you go first? I will. Okay. So, starting off with Never Die. Uh, this wasn't even in my top three for the record, but I do like the song quite a bit. I think it would get people going. I think it's a signature song of theirs, no mm. question. Mm. Um, so we're starting there. Mm. Number two, Come Back Down. I know that was in my top three, not yours, but I, I think that's a good next song. You know, it's like a transition song from that high to kind of the next part. It's like from the beloved couple of albums to um, like that song a lot. Mm-hmm. Then number three, we put in Building a Better Me, putting in a big song early on, getting people going, um, and then we kind of move on to more, I don't know, deeper cuts maybe. Number four, I've got Left Out Cold. A little less known, a little darker, um, but I got to hear those, uh, what's the vocal effect he does? I got to hear that <laughs> live. I got to hear my doo-doo-doos. <laughs> Um, I think that rules. I like that song. Um, Is that okay. at the end? Yeah, toward the end. Um, and then moving into Lonely Road, the one Matt Aragon song, as I said, my favorite song from that record for sure. Personal fave. It's bouncy. I think that'll be really fun live. And then we're getting into our hardcore mini set here. Started off with Everything Dies in Time move straight into the pain is gone. We're throwing our arms at the stage. <laughs> um, then once we're done with the little hardcore mini set, we move into the bad times. Now I know not your favorite, but I think if you started out acoustic, you know, like the reprise and moved into the song proper, I think that would be a good transition out of like hardcore, okay. hardcore to the ending songs. Then coming in with some old school classics at the very end, preschool days. I feel, thought this like made the most sense as sort of a penultimate song, old school fave, and then ending on all hands on deck. I feel like it's just like an iconic sort of ending. I would be very happy to go out on that note. So four songs from more than conquerors, three from building a better me, 
two from through thick and thin, one from Matt Aragon. That sounds about right. So I tried to I tried to be a little bit judicious in my sure like, trying to like this was a time where I was like trying to be like okay, what's a likely set? Um, different from your normal approach. Different from my normal normal approach. I try to do like a realistic set, but I'll tell you this, bro. <laughs> six out of ten. We have we have six right. out of ten. All right. And we both open with "Never Die." Yeah. I wonder if I mean we should have looked this up, but I wonder if that is a song that they open with regularly because it seems know. like it would work well. I don't know. Um, but I I do a little different. Uh, I kick it old school right away uh, with all hands okay. on deck. Oh, I like that too. Um, so just kind of, we kind of go from the aggressiveness of "Never Die" and then straight into the blistering drums again. Yeah, of all hands on deck. Um, into it. Uh, into there's room for everyone from building a better me. Okay. Um, then juice. I have. Ooh, I like uh, it for Matt. One of my faves. Yeah. Uh, then suffer, which uh, didn't sure. you didn't have on yours, but yeah, um, another super strong more than conquerors track. Yeah, uh, I also have come back down after that. All right, cool. Um, and I did throw in seismic. I thought if there would be maybe uh, a maybe standout track from that album, I'd throw that in there. I like then that song closing out with preschool days lonely road and building a better me hell yeah man that's a good set i i think either of these i'd be very satisfied yeah um i feel like there's some big ones that neither of us included uh feel the burn um right um i i feel like if i (laughs) if if it were up to me i would like i was trying to be like i said trying to be a little fair yeah. Like, and if it were up to me to just again, if I were to pull an Andrew and be like, I just, I just want a more than conquerors building a better me set, you know. I mean, I think that's probably what most fans <laughs> want. I mean, probably. Uh, yeah, we don't, we don't have, uh, you know, we didn't include, um, you know, see, it looks like the good times from building better me is, is, yeah. Uh, and their in their top songs, "Do or Die" is also yeah. a top song. <laughs> How do you feel um, about that? Uh, not great. <laughs> Wouldn't you be <laughs> if you were like super enjoying yourself in the pit or something? And all of a sudden, it was "I killed the son of God." You'd be like, "All right, I gotta go." <laughs> I gotta go. Where's the, <laughs> yeah? Where's the merch table? <laughs> um, but it's kind of weird because unlike the last three bands we covered, we're seeing them again was a distinct possibility. Uh, No plans for Dogwood to perform anytime in the near future. Um, I would really like to see some of these songs live now. Um, I think it'd be fun to sing along to all hands on deck. I think bopping along to, you know, lonely road, smashing some bows for everything dies in time. These all sound very fun to me. So maybe someday. Maybe someday. I don't know. It seems like everybody's kind of doing their own thing, um, right. their own separate careers and families and yeah, and everything. So that likelihood, uh, chances are significantly less than yeah. 
uh, slick shoes, five iron, true, know, and the like. We should uh, we should plug Josh Campbell's podcast, uh, the Family Podcast, which mm-hmm. stands for Food and Music is Life. Yes, <laughs> which I think is funny, <laughs> but he's like a chef, and yeah. he talks about punk and being a chef. And um, let's go check out that dude. See what he's up to these days. Uh, we uh, should we also talk about uh, Sean O'Donnell and his podcast? Oh, I didn't. Maybe I didn't see that he had one. Um, so I think it's a I think it's a podcast. He has this uh, thing called uh, Talks Chrome. Okay, and it's like uh, from what I can tell, it's. Um, it's like about old baseball card sets. Oh, that's cool. And it, like, it's, he just like it's so you can find it at, um, at talks Chrome and it looks okay. like the, uh, uh, like old Fleer ultra packs cool. like that. The logo looks like that. Yeah. And his, uh, his, his slogan is still crazy after all these Fleers, <laughs> which cool. is pretty great. Um, I dig it. So that's that's what he's he's got going on. Right on. Um, yeah, we. Uh, I don't. I, to clarify, I don't know if it's a podcast. I'm not exactly sure what it is, but you know, he hosts it. Whatever it is. Um. Yes. Well, we will be moving on next to Ace Troubleshooter. Ace Troubleshooter. Um, so get out those albums, prepare for that. We are taking the week off next week. We will be, we will be back after that to talk some ACE. That will be a different kind of, uh, mini series for us. <laughs> yeah. So um, it'll be quite a bit shorter. Shorter. Um, they don't have as many, uh, full length, proper records. There right. are two self-released records. Yeah. And then three proper full lengths. Um, yep. And I erroneously operated under the assumption that their self-titled record was their first album mm. when it was really technically their third record. Well, we will have to cover those in some capacity on the Patreon. So yes, keep your eyes peeled for that. Uh, in the meantime, Share us, uh, yeah, share us. That's how <laughs> the words go. Um, <laughs> words, words are hard. Words are hard, especially after three hours. Um, share with us your thoughts on Dogwood overall, uh, what you thought about what we covered today and throughout the series. Uh, share that with us at Magnified Pod on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Subscribe to the pod if you haven't already and give us a rating or a review. We will read your review on the pod. Email us at magnifiedpod at gmail.com. You can leave us a voicemail at 872-762-4763, 8727-MAGPOD. You can support us over at the Patreon at patreon.com slash magnifiedpod. Uh, as we've said, the Discord for Patreon punks is popping off lately. It's been very fun. Um, lots of good folks in our Patreon punk crew. Uh, John, I think we do need to say something on this our uh, last dogwood episode um mm. we have a name for uh, yes. starburst fans <laughs> who enjoy orange this uh 
you know, this has been a controversy that has been raging on for far too long. And uh, we've had some Orange fans coming out of the woodwork. um, Mm -hmm. Kind of, I feel like, spurred on by my my brother um, after I (laughs) bus-tossed him on the pod. And uh, after that, all kinds of people started coming out of the woodwork. And so um, we need to give a shout. So we have our pink boys that I Mm -hmm. represent. You got the... Red Riders that yes. uh, you I are. I captain that crew. You captain that crew. We got the Lemonheads, which mm. uh, they are um, leaderless at this point. <laughs> um, anarchy. Anarchy. But uh, we got to welcome to the fold the Orange Army. Yes. Uh, Brian said on the Discord that you always try to say that you don't want to yuck anybody's yum, except in this case, uh, I guess he gets a. <laughs> you give a pass for this one. And. <laughs> Like said, well, what uh, I said, gotta draw like, I got to draw the line somewhere. Fair but enough. Here's, here's what I will officially say on the subject. Orange is fine. <laughs> like, it's always been fine. I just yep. don't have a strong opinion on it. It's just sort of like orange is orange is orange. It's like it's nothing. It's nothing like like if you've tasted an orange candy taste in orange candy it's not like they're like oh it's the nuanced flavor of orange it's like it's orange it's right. fine it's good it's okay but like, it's like i'm the, not gonna get excited about orange it's the seismic of of starburst <laughs> <laughs> i've always i've always said that <laughs> yes um anyway you can anyway. enjoy that kind of fun by joining the patreon and getting in the discord you can also hear us talk about the aforementioned seismic this week. You can get episodes early over there. It's a great time. Uh, you can also pick up some merch at mm. magnifiedpod.storeenvy.com. And we want to say thanks to shadow producer, Jason and unoriginal vinyl. And thanks to heavy ordinance studios for our artwork. Well, our time in the penalty box is over for this week. We'll be back out on the ice next time when we'll cover ace troubleshooter. What a great song. That is a, such a banger. For more shows like this one, visit rockcandyrecordings.com.